0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Jacob, how's it going? How are you today?
1: Oh, goodness gracious, Ben. You, you catch me in the middle of, uh, you know, in case anybody's curious how the sausage gets made, um, prepping our Super Mario Bros. movie uh, coverage. So, Oh, yeah, because that movie comes out in theaters tonight,
0: question mark? Maybe tonight, tomorrow?
1: Night slash tomorrow. I think tomorrow is technically the opening day. So um, my entire morning has been phone calls trying with people who have seen Super Mario Bros. movie trying to assemble, what's what should we write about? So, um, <laughs> the answer is um a lot of... Fun stuff. A lot of divergent opinions. I know that our review runs later today and so far I've heard opinions ranging from um, it's really fun to uh, to it's not very good at all. <laughs> In that movie we are going to have a hopefully a pretty strong smorgasbord of articles related to that one starting tomorrow.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, speaking of animation, uh, let's talk about uh, a, a particular trailer that came out, I think, it like very, very early this morning. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse released its, I think, second official trailer or full trailer. Um, what did you make of this one, Jacob? I mean, it looks gorgeous. I mean, like,
1: uh, it, that animation style just seems kind of unmatched. I know over the past five years, we've seen a lot of new animated movies chasing Spider-Verse, trying to go for that movie's kind of... Um, really singular style and we saw Mitchell versus the machines we see it in the trailer for the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie of all things mm-hmm. and I just uh, I love that that movie seems to have lit a fire uh, uh, under other animators and this one seems to have up the ante I love the divergent animation styles I love I love those characters I think that's a weird thing is seeing that trailer is yeah I'm excited for all the new stuff and the technical technical stuff that seems to um, there seem to be pushing really hard in terms of how they're you know changing animation for this movie Mm -hmm. i just remind like i like miles i like gwen i like miles's family and it'll be one thing if spider-verse was a beautifully animated thing that i didn't care about beyond the aesthetics but it's a reminder that you know i'm there for the animation but i'm also there for those characters which is to be like a, a sign of something really special as opposed to something that's you know just neat
0: yeah, I 100% agree with that, and I think that's uh, a lesson that, frankly, the the uh, live action Marvel Cinematic Universe should uh, w- would do well to remember because that's one of those things that I think you know pe- as universes uh, expand and balloon and get bigger, um, you know, you can kind of lose sight of what actually drew people to caring about that stuff in the first place, and the answer is the characters and like the, the stories that they're uh, that they're in. It's not necessarily just um, the world itself or, uh, expanding dangers and, and, um, you know, more blue lights in the sky or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think this trailer looks amazing. Like the, the choice between saving one person and saving every world, uh, that this sort of multiversal experience, that's like inherently compelling and putting miles right in the middle of that, Seems like a great idea, um, and of course, as you said, the, the animation is just fantastic. So, very much looking forward to that. Obviously, I think the the original uh, Spider Verse was like Slash Film's collective favorite movie of twenty eighteen. Oh sure, yeah. Um, so, uh, another trailer, actually, there've been a bunch of trailers. Um, if you want to watch the trailers for blue beetle and secret invasion, uh, you can check those out on SlashFilm.com. There's also, uh, I'm going to put a link to the show notes for the trailer, uh, a link in the show notes for the trailer to uh, Barbie, which also came out earlier today. What'd you make of this one chicken? This is a great trailer. Uh, I
1: can't speak to, <clears throat> to uh, Barbie fandom, like our, like slash BJ Calangelo could if she was on this, but, um. I think that Greta Gerwig is way too smart to deliver anything subpar, and I think that there's something going on in that movie beyond it looking like just an incredibly fun, silly thing. I get the impression there's going be something very smart happening under the surface. And, but even if there wasn't, uh, it looks like Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are having a great time, and I'm there for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm on board with pretty much everything in this trailer, except the "beat you off joke at the end, which is, I don't know, it's just one of those things that kind of, maybe it works better in context of the actual movie, but in a trailer, I'm just like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to be seeing this, uh, you know, in front of every movie Um, every time I go to the theater for the next two months or whatever. And it's just, it wasn't funny the first time to me. And it's not going to be funny the 15th time. So I'm kind of dreading that. But everything else looks great. Like the production design is unbelievable in this film. And it's kind of interesting to me that like, I think nearly everything we see in this trailer could conceivably take place in the first five to 10 minutes of the movie. Because uh, I'm still wondering like what the the actual story is here this is billed as i think teaser trailer number two so it's not necessarily the movie's job or the trailer's job to give us the full scope of of what the actual story is yet um but it's clear that barbie like leaves barbie land and goes into the real world and that is i guess like the very very basic summary of the movie um but i'm just like wondering what else there is to it uh than that like you said there's there's probably more going on so uh i'm curious and excited to see what happens. And if, uh, if uh, the world on uh, un, un, unfurls in uh, an ideal scenario for me, Jacob, that beat you off joke will be one of those things that was shot and included in a trailer, but actually doesn't appear in the movie itself. So, <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into some news that uh, broke recently. So Shrek five is coming together, uh, sort of in the wake of Puss in Boots, the last wish. Um, have you had a chance to catch up with Puss in Boots last wish, Jacob?
1: No, I haven't. I feel bad because I thought the trailer looked really interesting compared to previous Shrek movies. And I know that a few members of our staff loved it. Like not like a, oh, it's pretty good for a Puss in Boots sequel reaction, but a, oh, this is actually legitimately a really, really good movie uh, reaction. Uh, so I, I, no, but it, I'm a little disappointed that a movie that was received so well critically
0: uh, seems like they started Shrek Five, which is something that I have no interest in. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. Like, I'm one of those people that really loved Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, and was shockingly surprised by how good it was and how sort of seriously it, it took its um, storylines, while also having a ton of like really light hearted humor and and sort of um you know the, the typical kind of like family animation stuff you would expect. Um, but I, I was wondering if you think that there is any hope for the Shrek franchise because Shrek has this really fascinating reputation as a franchise like the first Shrek movie won the first animation uh, the first Oscar for best animated feature and was a huge cultural juggernaut at the time and then has sort of since become like um I don't know like subsumed by irony culture or something and like you know th- there's a generation I guess that if you grew up and and you hit right in that sweet spot maybe you genuinely love Shrek um but it seems like there aren't too many people out there that you talk to or that I talk to anyway, I guess anecdotally um, that are like arguing that Shrek is like a a masterpiece and that all of the Shrek movies are, you know, deserve. Oh, uh, they're out there. They are. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) There's
1: there's a very diehard contingent of people, maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine years younger than me who grew up on Shrek and are just love that movie. But it's not ironic. Their love for I, it. I don't think so. I think there definitely is an ironic fan base, but I think there's also an honest one. Okay. And I, I know this because when Shrek celebrated the anniversary a few years, like 20th anniversary a few years ago, because Scott Tobias wrote an article in the Guardian uh, about how Shrek wasn't very good. The amount of despair he was put through for like weeks by Shrek fans like was hard to watch. Uh, I think Shrek's okay. I think he's very much a product of his time. I think the sequel is a little bit better. But then you see a very, very like major t- turn down quality. So like number three, three and four are, are pretty actively bad in ways mm-hmm. that one and two are not. And I think that Shrek feels very much of an ironic period where it was. with DreamWorks' whole thing was, they were, they were the hip alternative to Disney. Mm-hmm. But the reason why Disney and Pixar animation, and I guess also stuff like Spider Verse, works is that I think it comes from a very honest place. And Shrek and Shrek 2 are not honestly made movies. They're movies that I think are, are crass by design, ironic by design, you know, thumb in your nose, uh, you know, by design. And that doesn't necessarily age well, and especially in Shrek's case. Um, there's a reason why I think of the other movies that were nominated for the first Best anime Picture Oscar. Um, Monsters, Inc. holds it up in a way that Shrek simply doesn't. Mm. Um and I say that somebody who likes it. I, I have no hatred of my heart for Shrek. I just don't think it's especially great. I think the top, the window has passed for Shrek to be interesting. Um especially with that, that cast. Like I don't what 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 are stories need to be told of Shrek and Donkey and Fiona? I don't I don't think there are any.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I honestly don't even remember what happened in Shrek 4. So like maybe some of the the uh, ground that I'm thinking has already been covered in that movie. And there's no way in hell I'm going to go back and <laughs> revisit it. Because like you said, that movie is like, you know, one of the worst uh, Shrek films. But um, Sandy Schaefer wrote an article for us uh, on Slash Film about this Shrek 5 thing. And basically said like, you know, the 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 potential for this movie to be good is there if it takes the right lessons from Puss in Boots, the last wish and, and sort of how that franchise, which the first Puss in Boots movie, which is a spin-off of Shrek um, was fine, like good, surprisingly good, better than many of the other Shrek movies. But the jump in quality from Puss in Boots in 2011 to the last wish, which came out last year uh, is like night and day. And so if, shrek after a long time away can actually incorporate you know the passage of time and like some more um not necessarily to to imply that like the only way this movie could be good is if it takes things more seriously because that's not necessarily true but if it can can add some gravitas to its storytelling in some way and not be quite as winky uh and and you know um nudge, nudge, uh, elbow in the ribs type of thing, then maybe it actually has a chance to sort of like redefine itself as a franchise and, um, and like take things to another level. So, uh, yeah, just putting that out there in case anybody's curious about the future of, uh, of the Shrek franchise, evidently this movie Shrek five has been sort of talked about since, oh geez, I think it was like 2017 when they first started talking about it. But, um, Chris, uh, Melodandry, who runs illumination and is a big, uh, member of the, the dreamworks. Uh, animation community i think he's a creative partner over there um just recently said that like basically yes this is in the works we're in early talks with the original cast to come back so um it doesn't have a a, an official release date yet shrek 5 but um seems like it's only a matter of time before that happens so fingers crossed they um you know get the approach right but
1: um i just don't want to i don't need mike myers to lazily break out that scotch accent again you you know mike myers won't show up maybe he'll show up for the paycheck and do the job but He's know that he's not going to like. I can't imagine Mike Myers in twenty twenty three, like delivering a great Shrek performance. And I, I just and it makes me tired to think
0: about it. All right. Fair enough. Well, I'm curious what you think about this next story, because this is one that's been rumored for a little while, and evidently it's, it's coming together, actually, in, in real ways. So uh, Deadline reported, I think it was last night, that Heat 2 is actually in development at Warner Brothers right now. And Michael Mann, uh, the director of 1995's incredible crime epic, Heat, is coming back. He's, he's working on this. Um, and Adam Driver, who is working with uh, Michael Mann on the Ferrari movie that Mann has been working on for quite some time is uh, in talks to play a young Neil McCauley the character who's played by Robert De Niro in the original heat. Um, no other actors are officially tied to this movie yet. There's been some talk that like Austin Butler and Anna de Armas might be uh, involved, some sort of internet rumors about that. Evidently, according to this deadline report, they are not involved yet. The only two people that are actively working on this right now are Uh, Michael Mann and Adam Driver. So, um, Heat Two, of course, is going to be based on the book that just came out. I think it was last year um, that Michael Mann and Meg Gardner wrote. And um, Jacob, have you read Heat Two yet? I just started reading it. I think two nights ago. So I'm I'm, I barely cracked it open. But have you read this one? No, not yet. Um, And not by not yet. I mean, I I probably won't get around to it at
1: any point in the near future. I. I do know, uh, having spoken to some friends uh, in the filmmaking world, uh, independent filmmaking world, they, without mentioning names, I will say they had a screenplay they were trying to get made for a long time, and they're having no traction, and then they were told, hey, if you publish your screenplay as a book, if you write it into a novel, publish the novel, then you may have better luck selling it as an adaptation of an existing book than it was an original screenplay. And They did just that, and they're having a little bit of better traction now. Um, So I think this is a very similar case. I think that Michael Mann very craftily had this book written so they could adapt something and uh, take it from there. I I think this was the plan all along, and I say good for Michael Mann.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because he talked about um, how – he every time he goes into a movie he does like extensive backstory um for the characters that he creates he, he writes you know these long sort of bibles of these characters and stuff so i think he had a lot of this information because he too has a fascinating structure where uh, a lot of it takes place in like the late 80s like 1988 i think and then it also picks up as a sequel to the events of the movie so it's sort of this like um i don't know almost like a, a better call sol thing i guess I, I never finished that show but um where it it, it you know, uh, does a prequel and sequel type of thing. So I'm curious to know if like, is Al Pacino going to come back and, and play Vincent Hanna, the older version of Vincent Hanna again? Um, and like, if so, what year is that supposed to take place? And are they going to like digitally de-age him in order for that to happen? So uh, lots of questions about he too, but... Um, I rewatched the first heat for the first time in many years about, I don't know, a few months ago and holy hell does that movie hold up in like an incredible way. It's just so good. So it's, it's very long. I want to say it's like three hours or something, but it is like, uh, just a, a true crackling, like perfect, perfect heist movie. So, um, I'm excited about the, uh, prospect of what happens with, uh, with heat too. So, um, do you have any relationship to the original heat Jacob? I think it's really good. I'm not obsessed with heat in the way that certain
1: people on our staff, know Chris Evangelista and Ryan Scott, are both like ride or die heat fans. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, literally, when the news broke last night, Ryan wasn't even working, and Ryan came, like, literally jumped into work, to be like, I'm writing this, no one else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, news article. Um, yeah. So I, I'm very, very glad this is happening. I think it's something that. Clearly, it's on the mind of not only Michael Mann, but uh, like it's been at the forefront of like people who love Heat. This is this feels it like, doesn't feel crass. Like I, I don't think anybody is expecting Heat to be a billion dollar movie. I think this is a case where people just really want to revisit these characters, and mm-hmm. Michael Mann does too. So I, I once again back to honesty. I think it's, it's, it feels like an honestly
0: made thing. I say go for it, Michael Mann. Yes. All right. So uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the Harry Potter TV series and a new Game of Thrones prequel. But before we do that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, so uh, the Harry Potter news. I, I think I want to say this this dropped, uh, geez, yeah, like late last night as well. Um, there's a Harry Potter TV show coming to HBO or HBO Max, whatever they end up calling the new Max Discovery uh, combo. I think we're actually supposed to find out about that on April 12th. There's going to be a
1: April 12th. A, yep, I think there also we'll get a formal announcement about this series because this is very much a, a, a breaking story and not a, an official announcement.
0: Yes. So, uh, a Harry Potter TV series is in development at, uh, let's just call it Warner Brothers discovery right now. And this is something that is very much in line with what David Zaslav, the, the, uh, I guess, current CEO, president or whatever he, uh, position head honcho over there, uh, has been sort of, um, drilling down on in recent weeks. And he's talked a lot about like a new Lord of the Rings. And we talked about that on the podcast. Uh, this is like, you know basically what he has has um, had in mind for quite some time is to just like double triple quadruple quintuple down on the big franchises that have worked for the company on, in order to erase some of that debt and get them uh, sort of back on the on the right side of things again so uh, obviously the idea of a Harry Potter TV show has been kicked around for a long time and and like even fans have said you know I remember Brad Oman uh, talking to me on on an episode of this podcast and saying like I you know that he would really um, love to see all of the books translated, one book per season, into uh, a, a, like a prestige TV show, and that appears to be what is happening here. Um, of course, since then, J.K. Rowling has stumbled into speaking of like quintupling down uh, has just like made it her entire personality to hate trans people online. So like you know, uh, terrible baggage associated with this franchise now. Um, What do you think about the idea of of this happening, Jacob, on on both the um, sort of business side and also like, are you actually going to watch this side? Yeah, I think from a, um, somebody who read all the Harry Potter books as they
1: came out and watched all those movies and has generally been a fan of that world. it's It's been really, really heartbreaking and awful to watch JK Rowling descend into being a hateful, hateful person. And, I just think that in terms of fan optics, the I'm going to paraphrase somebody else. You uh, remember who said this? But I'm going to paraphrase it. Like, does Warner Brothers realize how much modern Harry Potter fandom loves the original movie cast but hates J.K. Rowling? Mm-hmm. How this new series will enrich J.K. Rowling while doing nothing with the original cast? So, I, I think this is a lot of this feels. Like, are they, they're going to test, they're, they're really going to be testing what the Harry Potter fandom is. How much of Harry Potter fandom is actually interested in in showing up for it. I think it has J.K. Rowling's, a new J.K. Rowling thing, or in this case, a new adaptation. Right. I, I remember when that video game came out, Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, it was, uh, it sold well, but there it was, it was, it was a huge portion of um of the Harry Potter fandom who just went out of their way to like really being activists against that game for a number of months. And I'm just wondering how or if WB plans to deal with the fact that a very vocal portion of Harry Potter fandom, of which I include myself in this case, is like have zero interest in anything that would get JK Rowling a fresh round of my money. So
0: Yeah, the thing that complicates this though, Jacob, is that it's going to be a TV show on a streaming service that a lot of people probably already pay for. So unless you do like a full boycott of whatever the new HBO Max Discovery combo streaming service is, then it's, it's different than, you know, a new movie coming out and you can just say, okay, I'm going to opt out of this and not support this movie because you know, a percentage of my ticket is going to go into JK Rowling's pocket or whatever, right? Um, the, the fact that it's going to be on a streaming service that a lot of people already subscribe to um, is going to make that sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a monetary uh, resistance or whatever, a little bit more murky than it would be if this were, you know, a, a, an announcement about um, eight new movies uh, or remakes of the movies or whatever. So um, I'm just curious if like People are going to be able to resist the uh, curiosity. Like obviously, like you said that you know. I, I also, I, I actually have no. I've, I've never read the books and didn't particularly care for the movies. I like the idea of of Harry Potter and like the um, the broad arc of the story. But um, I I was one of those people like Brad who thought, oh, this might actually I might like this more as a property if I was able to dive into these characters a little bit more deeply in a season by season show. Um, And now, you know, the monkey's paw, I'm getting my wish, but under like terrible circumstances because JK Rowling is still involved in it and she's probably going to profit in some way from it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm just like, you know, the entire thing, there's like this swirling morass of uh, complications around this. What what do you make of any of that? Did I connect with anything there?
1: No, uh, absolutely. It's, I think back to uh, the the now old completed uh, TV series, "A Good Place," which one of the big recurring themes is, is that in the modern world, it's almost impossible to be a good person because how do? Yeah. You, it's like no matter what you do, what you buy, what you watch, what you say, there's a repercussion that you that you don't know where it's going, or you're hurting somebody without realizing it, and it's literally impossible. Um, but I I, w- I will add uh, Ben the, uh, the other half of your starting question here i think a harry potter tv series feels like a desperate creative bankruptcy um from a company that just needs a hit the same company that's also promising more lord of the rings movies when there's no more real lord of the rings material left to mine at this point mm-hmm. uh warner brothers you know i hope they weather the storm I Hope they, they get what they need i hope that the people who are not david zaslov are taken care of and get paid and there's no layoffs beyond
0: what's already happened but it's it's <laughs> it's the thing that Ryan Scott always talks about on this podcast where it's like, you know, the the he talked about it on yesterday's episode with Peter about like the Moana movie, um the live action version of Moana, like you know, of course it's a creatively bankrupt idea, but it it makes financial sense for these corporations to tap into it because there's a proven interest by uh you know, audiences. Like of course we all want there to be original stuff and interesting stuff and then Uh, you know these these big franchise things for going on two decades now or whatever have been and maybe even more than that honestly um, have just been like the biggest uh, drivers of what you know what moves Hollywood Hollywood's wheels so it's it's um, it's tough to uh, to uh, fault Warner Brothers for saying and, and HBO for saying you know what we should do this because there's been such an outcry of like you know, this makes financial sense because Harry Potter is still very much in people's lives, even though the JK Rowling of it all is making things complicated. There's like the theme parks that people are going to and loving. And, um, you know, there's just so many like aspects to this thing. It's, it's wild to think about.
1: Yeah. My reaction, to this, my, my, my honest goodness reaction in this Ben overall is that I am just very, very tired. Everything <laughs> about this story makes me tired from every single angle. And part of that is a regular fatigue from the nature of my job there part of it is that i would love for folks at hbo max the talented folks who are making stuff there to literally do anything else but yeah. i don't understand why this is happening
0: okay well speaking of hbo let's talk about one final story here and that is another hbo related project which is a new game of thrones prequel that is in development over there and this one is actually going to be about Aegon the conqueror and uh, there could be a film component to this. So this is fascinating and, and something that I, I believe, if memory serves, has also been talked about uh, for many years surrounding uh, Game of Thrones. I remember in the heyday of that show, there was some discussion about whether like one of the final seasons was going to involve a movie and then... Uh, you know, roll into the the actual episodes and then uh, conclude the series that way. Uh, that obviously ended up not happening. But now Variety is reporting that HBO is in the very, very early stages of producing a new prequel about Aegon Targaryen, also known as Aegon the Conqueror, who I believe was the first uh, Targaryen to essentially conquer all of the Seven Kingdoms except for Dorne. Um and so, uh, Jacob, as our, our resident like Game of Thrones expert, um, what do you think about this particular story um, being, um, I guess, the source material for a new adaptation? And then also, uh, separately, what do you think about the the idea that it could be a movie that then launches into a, a show following that?
1: Uh, I'm. It wouldn't have been my choice for the next Game of Thrones spinoff, and I think we'll be getting more Game of Thrones spinoffs. And unlike Harry Potter, I am feeling very warm toward the idea of more stuff set in Westeros. I'm not tired of this world yet. I really, really, really like House of the Dragon. And I'm pumped for more of that. Um, I will say I'm not sold on the movie slash series combination. Uh, I, I think that it just asks a lot of, a, of an audience to follow anything like that. Um like I said, it's not clear if this movie component would be theatrical or if it would be you know, a streaming film that would lead to a series. But even then, if it is a streaming film then it's just a two-hour long episode that, as opposed to, you know, an actual movie. That's, that's how yeah. it seems to me. Yeah. So I feel like it has to be theatrical. It to be special. But even then, it's like, I remember when they, many years ago when Ron Howard was trying to adapt Stephen King's The Dark Tower, and he was like, oh, there'll be a movie, then a season of TV, then a movie, then a season of TV. I'm like, that just sounds exhausting. I don't want to do that. I don't want to keep up <laughs> with that. I, I, I am all for Egg on the Conquer" bringing a series. I'm all for, like, the super early days of Westeros. So how Seven Kingdoms came, came to become Seven Kingdoms. That's a story that, you know, I'm willing to watch it. I, I will watch that uh, that show. And I will watch the movie if they make it. But it's also, like, don't make more work for me. I already have... Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, the the landscape of watching stuff is already jam-packed in a way that's disconcerting, uncomfortable for even people like you and me, Ben. Don't, <laughs> don't go to the regular people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think... You know, I, I'm not, uh, I've read all of the the main um, Song of Ice and Fire books. I've not delved into, you know, Fire and Blood or any of the, actually, I've read um, one of the, uh, I think it's called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the um, uh, short story Duncan Egg uh, collection. Adapt, um, I would adapt. That's what I love those. Yeah, and that, that, that was another thing that was announced a year or two ago that as being a sort of um, on the block for potential adaptation, but evidently that has not moved forward yet. So uh, one of the things that uh, I guess one of the sort of criticisms I've seen about this news is like the Aegon the Conqueror story is not super interesting. It's kind of like, a, in fact, a boring story because uh, he's the founder of the Targaryen dynasty, but also um, he basically just like him and his sisters slash wives just rode around uh, on dragonback uh, across Westeros, like burning anyone who, who would uh, dare to stand in their way. And that's not necessarily like the most dramatically compelling um, foundation on which to build a, a new uh, movie slash show. Um, I wonder if like the movie would just be <laughs> the burninating and then the show is what happens once they set up shop and what that first uh, Targaryen, uh, rain actually looks like. But um, what do you think about that idea, Jacob? Do you think that there's there's like more to, do you think, uh, I guess the question is, do you think House of the Dragon proved that um, some text written down uh, by George R. R. Martin um, is, does not necessarily mean it has to uh, adhere strictly to that, or or that it's just as boring as you know a couple lines here and there. Because I think that show did a pretty decent job of like building out from a pretty flimsy um, source material. What do you think about that? Yeah, the, the, the reason House of the Dragon
1: works for me is that it does not treat its source material as gospel. Since source material is fake historical records, you know, there's stuff in House of the Dragon that openly contradicts the source material. Uh, characters do things for different reasons. Things happen way really different ways. You realize that the source material for House of Dragon is written by the victors. It's written by people who are selling a very specific ver- version of history. Whereas House of the Dragon show is, you know, what actually happened. So I, I think that there is infinite space for them to expand on Aegon's story in a way that, you know, makes a seemingly simple story into something a lot more
0: complex. Cool. All right. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.